Hello, welcome to Cambridge Black History Month Celebratory Podcast Session 2. I'm your host, Amy Weber, CEO of Cambridge and host of Cambridge Stronger, a podcast where culture counts and values matter most. Cambridge has always been committed to diversity. However, we've recently doubled down on the efforts, and today we are offering a two-part podcast series to honor Black History Month. Cambridge is a financial solutions firm, and therefore we are focused largely on increasing awareness around the lack of diversity in our industry. Cambridge is also seeking opportunities to make Cambridge stronger by featuring our partners who share our purpose and values. Recent studies show that 82% of all financial professionals are white, and only 3.8% of all certified financial planners are people of color. Diversity clearly matters. I'm particularly excited to introduce the audience to two of our valued financial professionals here at Cambridge today, Armand Kroom of Kroom Financial and Gary McPherson of McPherson Financial Partners. Our mission today is to learn from these gentlemen about how their firms attract and support the African-American population. So gentlemen, thank you for joining me today to talk about this critical subject. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start off and level set with each of you telling me just a little bit about your business and particularly what types of clients you serve, especially as it relates to your African-American client base. Gary, would you like to start us off? Sure. So I started in the financial service industry working at Northwestern Mutual, a insurance company, and the gentleman that I worked for had a practice heavily based on employee benefits. So I was exposed there to retirement plans, which when I always decided to start my own practice, that's what I wanted as my focus. And I'm lucky enough to have done that. So my business is focused on corporate retirement plans. And from there, I work with participants and individuals that I'm referred to and focus on long-term planning and, and income planning and financial planning. So the clients I primarily serve are individuals and businesses. And as far as the black community, when I actually thought about this and thought about our interview today, I went back and looked at my practice. And with my corporate clients, it turns out that 25% of my corporate clients are minority firms. And with my individual practice of clients, 38% of my individual clients are in the black community. So great. Thank you for educating us on your business and Armand. As far as my practice goes, I probably have about 90 clients. I follow the values-based financial planning model where we mostly charge a fee. We charge a fee and we provide them with different services and things of that nature. My clients make up mostly military, so I serve a lot of military. And then the subset of that are doctors in the military, which is kind of just happens. So I, I work with military, federal employees, and doctors within the military and the federal employee. And that's just because I served in the military. I was in the Navy in 2004, and I went to a company called First Command Financial Planning that served the military. So that's just kind of where I got my start. As far as the Black community, I do not have many Black clients, which is kind of bugged me. <laughs> a lot. And so that's when I started recently doing a little bit more outreach in that area to try to bring on more Black clients. And so we can discuss that a little bit further, but uh, as to why I think that is, but yes, I do not. I have probably about five or six Black clients out of the 90. Fascinating fact and interesting niche that you found there with doctors and the military. 
accidental, it sounds like, but good lesson for some of our listeners that business sometimes is not where you expect it to be. No, <laughs> it was, I, I, you know, I did a good job with a few doctors and they just started referring each other and the rest is kind of history. Referrals, the key to success in our business, right? Yes. So the 2021 theme for Black History Month, gentlemen, is the Black family, representation, identity, and diversity. With that in mind, how is Black History Month important in your lives and communities? And will you do anything special in your offices to recognize Black History Month? With Black History Month, for my family, it's very important. And what we typically do is try to volunteer during Black History Month, starting with MLK. There's a lot of different volunteer opportunities out there. So we kind of search and then as a family pick something. I don't have a big practice. Uh, basically, my only assistant right now is my wife. So basically, what we were deciding as a family, it's, it's basically the office going to do something and, you know, involve my children as well. And we're an interracial family. So Black History Month is important to make sure they're educated on, you know, the heritage. That's great. Armand? So Black History more in general is important just so that we, you know, highlight the contributions that we have made to, you know, American society. We definitely with, you know, in our, within our family throughout the entire year discuss all the issues that come up throughout the year. And as far as like one of our kids' education goes, you know, we have them look at Frederick Douglass and look at different type of people who have looked into or contributed to American history. Kind of like Gary, it's just me and an assistant, Starla. So, you know, our company or my firm hasn't really done anything as far as that go. But yes, as far as Black History Month overall, I don't know if our history books do a really good job highlighting what contributions African-Americans have made to society. And so I think it's important just to highlight that we've done more than what those history books have basically teach us about, at least what I was taught in school. I haven't been in school in a while, so maybe they've upgraded, but I haven't seen anything to uh, change my mind in that <laughs> area. I don't know that they've upgraded, unfortunately. So I guess that's why our efforts here today, we're just doing our part. Yes, exactly. Shifting gears just a bit. Census data suggested that by 2045, a mere 24 years from now, the U.S. population overall will reflect whites as a minority. The general conclusion from that stat is that the general population will be better served if the financial planning community represents a more diverse population to serve that end client. So do you agree? Do you think it's important to minority clients that they work with advisory firms that are culturally diverse? Armand? Absolutely. I think it's for any company that, you know, any company, the more diverse your company is, the better it is as far as perspective goes. Understanding other people's situations. If nothing, if 2020 hasn't taught us anything, is that it's really hard for people to understand what other people are going through unless they've gone through it. So, you know, we can talk about it, but until you are going through that situation, you really don't fully understand. So having a diverse group of people coming from different areas in life will allow you to at least have someone sitting next to you that goes, hey, you know, it's not as easy as you think it is. Or have you thought about it from this point of view? Or have you thought about it from that point of view? And then on top of that, having that relationship that, you know, allows you to have that conversation between the two of them, you know, 
allows you, especially if you respect that individual and that person's point of view, even if it's a different from yours, you're keen to kind of listen and maybe take a step back and maybe think, maybe I'm not all the way correct about my train of thought on that certain subject. You know, you know, I, I could be at least 75% wrong or 25% wrong. <laughs> like I may not have it locked down. So, you know, when you talk about people who are struggling with their budgets or struggling with investing, you know, for you, it may make complete sense to invest in a Roth IRA and traditional IRA and things of that nature. Coming from where I come from, that is a scary proposition and alien. <laughs> you know, just that is, I don't, there's so much information coming at you that you just shut down. So having somebody with maybe similar background, maybe similar history that can reach out to you will allow people to maybe come forth and, and work with you a little bit more. Yeah, I think Armand's definitely on target. I think people would ideally want to work and do business at places where they think they're supported and they, they think that people could understand them well. And again, like Armand's saying, that different people have different thoughts and have different experiences, especially when it comes to finances and wealth. And with that, I see it a lot, especially with my business, with the retirement plans. When I'm working with participants, there's all different ranges of knowledge. So when we say something like a Roth, they're like, uh, well, I kind of know what that is. And then you explain it. They're like, oh, I didn't really realize that it worked that way. Or the other day, even one of my clients, I said something about AGI. He's like, what's AGI? I'm like, well, I need to know that that's the threshold to know the income limits of whether or not you qualify for a Roth. He's like, oh, so again, just to have those, you know, conversations and then they want to see that you're able to support them. It, it doesn't always work that way. Just like Armand said that he, he doesn't really have a big amount of clients that are African-American. Even with my percentages, I don't, I still don't have a big percentage or a big amount of clients that are African-American but they still want to see that you're making that effort. So at the very least, you know, we, we all need to do, you know, make some effort there. Yeah, I think as an industry, we can find and see the research that shows that there are a lot of people that are underserved. And we're talking about one category here right now that is, is very important. If our listeners agree that this is an important issue, that diversity is important, and hopefully most of them do, Let's talk about how can they differentiate themselves in this environment? Like, do, we, do you have any ideas about how you would present? For instance, Armand, let's start with you because you suggested earlier that while you don't have a large percentage of your clients that are African-American, it bothered you. You know, you've, you've been thinking about it. And what are you going to do to change that? How do you differentiate yourself in that way? So I, I recently, or actually recently, I guess last two years, working on a blog called The Financial Effect. And that is specifically for the, you know, underserved communities. You know, what we want to do is, you know, with my firm particularly, I think it does put some roadblocks in to kind of protect myself as far as the type of clientele that I work with. But then at the same time, I want to create a, a space where people feel like they can get financial advice and so I created the financial effect. The financial effect is really talking about budgeting and stuff that, that they can control and trying to reach out to them as to what they need to do to kind of build themselves up to, you know, better financial leaders for their family. 
And so, you know, I'm working on a book. I have a ebook called Six Steps to Becoming a Financial Leader. And we're really just hitting home the budgeting system. And then we're teaming up with Black-owned Uncle Nearest Ski Group to kind of outreach that way, to try to get ourselves out there to do webinars and, and, and things of that nature. You bring up a, a, a point as far as, is it important for outreach to the Black community? And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tackle this in really two ways. One, I don't care who you are. I think it's important. If you see the amount of unrest in the American society right now, it is important to you no matter where you fall. So one of the things I, I, in the group, I don't know if Gary remembers this, I asked anyone, do they remember financial planning being brought up at their kitchen table when they were growing up? It wasn't at mine. I, I, I wasn't sure if I was the only one. <laughs> like, it just, money was not talked about at my kitchen tables. Definitely not in a sense of, hey, you need to have a financial advisor. To be honest with you, I, you know, looked up in my niche. And the first time I even talked to someone about financial planning was when I was in the Navy. And one of my friends brought me to some financial planner's office. And, I, you know, this is the first, that was the first time I even knew that was even a career. So I think, at the end of the day, part of the outreach should be is at least getting in front of or getting at the kitchen table and having that discussion as to what we do for a living, that we are here to guide you into the right types of investments. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about CNBC and Gary brought up the Roth IRA. I, I, I call those all those things financial porn in a sense that it's just so much information. People don't know what to do with it. And they really need a financial advisor to help guide them. If, if you really believe in what it is that you do, and you really want to help people invest their money and do right by their money, then financial advisors should be at everyone's kitchen table talking about that because you know that most people are not going to do right by their money without a, a good financial advisor. And so the best way to get people to take care of themselves is to get them to invest, to get them to do right by their budget, to put them in a traditional IRA and, and you know, convert it over to a Roth IRA or do whatever it is that you do. Because at the end of the day, from people who make $50,000 to $200,000, they're all ignorant about this subject. So, you know, they just have the money or at least the knowledge to know, hey, I need to get a financial advisor. Whereas the underserved people, that's not even the thought. Like a financial advisor, I'm just trying to get to the end of the month, right? So you, you at least get to the point where if you're outreaching, hey, when I get to however much, maybe I need to start looking into hiring a financial planner. You know, so that is why the outreach is important and why you want to diversify a little bit so that you can reach people so that if you, if you believe that they should help themselves, well, you're in a position where you can help them help themselves. That's great. Great advice. Gary, what do you have to add to that? Well, similar to what Armand is saying that a lot of people don't grow up with, you know, having access to a financial planner or even a financial advisor. I didn't. And, you know, I believe Armand said he didn't as well. But again, one of the things some other advisors and I have talked about is we never know who that person knows. So say that person, like with, as I said, with me, with the participants and the retirement plans, I'm willing to help anybody. I can't spend a ton of time with them but I can take a couple minutes and put them in the, you know, guide them on the right path, 
leading them to financial planning end. And everything, every concept that I do, because I minored in financial planning, has that idea based on it. So it's all based on financial planning. But it's, it goes to the sense of growing up, I always thought that if my mother and I had known about several different concepts, because she was a single mother raising me, we could have been in a much better place than where she is now in, you know, in, in how I started my career, could have started sooner, things of that nature. But I always lived the philosophy that I don't know who that person knows. And you always want to treat somebody as they're your best client. Because again, if you treat them well, but again, we've already, we've already said that those referrals are key to our business. So that's a key reason why we want to diversify our practice. Because we that person may help us that they may have a family member, they may have a friend that they end up introducing us to from us just even giving them a piece of advice that could grow our business. So I, I think it's insanely helpful. Fascinating that you both brought up the fact that money wasn't talked about at the table or in your homes as you were growing up. And I've heard that a couple of times. Do you think that's racial or generational? I think it could be a little bit of both, but with me and my friends, for the most part, I think definitely in the black community, I don't think money is often talked about. I think there are some families that are well enough that can do it. I think what we've talked about now that I think is happening a lot in America, there's almost a class system that you see. It's kind of like the have and the have nots a little bit. And with that, I think that's the, more, the bigger driver in this. So that if you do have a certain amount of wealth and kind of like Armand was saying that you, in your mind, you're thinking, well, I'll get a financial advisor when I get to a certain dollar figure or I have a certain amount of money. But in reality, you should have them as soon as possible, even when you don't have it, because you need somebody guiding you in that, those right directions so that you can build that wealth. So I, I think that leads to a lot of it. What do you think, Armand? I think, again, it's, it's one of those things where you know, because I was in the military, we had to move a lot. So moving is not a big deal. For other people, you know, some people are like, oh, well, if you grew up in this neighborhood, why don't you just move? That's a scary thing for a lot of people, right? Like doing new things is scary to other, other you know, to a lot of people. And investing and financial advice and doing that, it's scary. And at some point, you know, you're like, are you trying to take advantage of me? Like, I'm giving you this money and you're going to put it in what? Like, you know, it's a scary proposition. And so, you know, when you talk about is it racial or is it, you know, I, I agree with Gary, it's a, a little bit of both in a sense that, you know, when you don't have a lot of money, trying to get a financial advisor, that's just you know, it's an unknown that you've never really even discussed or dealt with or didn't hear your parents talking about, oh, we went to see our financial advisor today or we have a meeting with our financial advisor. Shh, like that never happened. So that is a completely foreign thing that, you know, if I hadn't gone to college and studied that thing, I, it would have been something that I would have never even thought about or even heard of. So to Gary's point, yes, I, you know, I, I do agree that you should try to have a financial advisor at this uh, at any point. The other scary thing is who's the right financial advisor. We all know that there's some financial advisors that will take advantage of those that get to use our name who aren't really financial advisors. So that's the other piece that we're trying to battle. And I think the CFP board is doing a great thing trying to, it's a catch 22 because again, you know, you don't want to, 
it, it blocks some people out, but at the same time, you know, you don't want certain people, and I'm not going to name any companies that literally are taking advantage of people who are underserved and putting them in products that shouldn't, they shouldn't be in. Yeah. The bad actors have definitely given all of us a bad rap, right? A, a PR challenge, to say the least. But it's people like the two of you that will continue. I think you can't trust what you don't see. We do more to get all of you out there that are doing honorable work and just do our little part to try to make that better. I'm going to put the two of you on a spot, though. I know you both have children. So do either of you talk about financial planning and money at the table with your children yet? Armand's yours are young, but any techniques that you've started with your kids? Absolutely. The key part is actually just talking about money. And, you know, there's been times when my daughter is asking me about how Vons makes money. You know, I own real estate. And, and so, and right now we're in the process of buying a new house. That is a topic of discussion. We're talking about appraisals and, and, and things of that nature. So we don't hide. And of course they know that I'm a financial advisor and, you know, they know that I sell my intellectual intelligence for a living. <laughs> so that is what I do. And so, you know, we, we definitely talk about money. We definitely do the allowance thing and kind of going through all of that. But yeah, just we definitely talk about money in our house and what that means and what we're trying to accomplish so that they are not completely in the dark and already thinking about ways of you know, when they do get older, do I make them have me as their financial advisor at first? What does that look like? And really like getting in deep of how they manage their money. How about you, Gary? Kids are a little older, probably understand a little bit more. Definitely. The schools are starting to try to do a better job with this as well. And I definitely commend them. There's a group out there, it's Junior Achievement. And it was at my son's middle school about two years ago when he was in sixth grade, three years ago, rather. And they had it such they asked for volunteers. So of course, I'm like, well, that's right in my wheelhouse. So I should definitely volunteer. And then I get to kind of see him at school. So I did and, and gave me a chance to see the program and actually go through it as a volunteer and help teach it. And it was a really good program that talked about careers, but then talked a lot about money, about creating a budget and going through things like that. So with my children, we definitely focus on you know, wants and needs and, and saving and, and spending. And I think we do a pretty good job of getting them to save more than spending. And kind of when we, you know, do buy something or do something for them, we make them aware of, you know, what the cost is. Not to put pressure on them to say you can't do it, but to make them realize that there is a cost from it and what the, that cost is so it has a real value to it. Because, you know, I don't think you should necessarily hide it from them. Like they should be aware of it to know it. And that wasn't something that was brought up growing up. It was either you could do it or you can't do it. But it wasn't, you, you didn't have a dollar figure to put to it. So you really understood it. Like, you know, those type of things. And then, you know, as Armand said, they, they know what I do. And, and more so, they're starting to understand that. And this past summer, especially with COVID, I had to jump through some hoops, but I was able to make my son an intern at my practice so that he could help out and do some things. And so he can start learning some of that and kind of see what the market means. Because when I was in high school, I did an economics class, which kind of pointed me towards this path, but not, not completely. But that at least got me started. So he got to kind of see and understand that and how a little bit how the stock market works to correspond with what he learned through junior achievement. 
I applaud the commitment you're both making to that. This is a little inspiration as your children continue to grow up. So my kids, as you can imagine, also had the opportunity to understand what I did and what you do. That said, they're both very creative and they were not impressed at all with financial services. That is nothing they wanted anything to do with. So while they understood largely a lot about money, I wasn't sure they were really listening. I was pretty sure that I was just sounded like the Charlie Brown teacher on the cartoon to them. And then they got ready to go to college and they got jobs and suddenly I realized, hey, when I was talking about that 529 plan, they knew exactly what I was talking about, even if that it looked like they were ignoring me, because they asked about it. They knew that that's, it was going to determine you know, how far they could go or those kinds of things as far as college goes. So keep up the good work, even if they start to show a little bit of disinterest, because they are hearing you, just like everything else that we try to plant for them. Well, you know, I will tell you, like, one of the things that I'm trying to teach my clients and teach my children is the more money you've accumulated, the more flexibility and freedom you have. And so that you are not making the tough decisions. And, you know, the other thing that I'm also trying to teach them is I read a very good book called Scarcity, where it talked about where people who are having money, struggling with money, they hyper-focus on that issue and so it takes away from your ability to be the parent that you want to be it takes away from the type of job that you want to you know doing good work anytime you have any kind of scarcity in your life it shortens your bandwidth so you know in talking to them about this if you want to have freedom of mind and you know this is also the reason why you should outreach the underserved it's not just about serving the underserved and, and, and things of that nature is also teaching them so that they have the space to come up and think about other things other than money. They are thinking about money. They're just thinking about money in a way of, I'm just trying to get to the end of the month versus I need a 529 plan because they don't have, we, we are all born with a certain amount of bandwidth to be able to handle certain situations. So if they are stressed out about where they live, the income, their expenses, things of that nature, they don't really have time to think about things like that. So when you're talking about raising your children and talking about money, one of the things that you're trying to teach them is that, hey, if you are able to at least accumulate more assets, that's going to give you a little bit more freedom to think about other things such as, you know, your hobbies or about, you know, wine tasting or, you know, not snap at your children when they ask you for a cup of water like <laughs> just because you're just kind of stressed out and you're done and so I kind of talk about that a lot in a sense that and that's why I called it the financial effect is once you get yourself out of that stressful situation you really can tackle certain issues a lot with a, a little bit more patience than if you are stressed out about money and other things that are going on in your life. So that is the importance of really talking to your children about money because people don't realize that, you know, getting those Michael Jordans and getting those purses and getting this and getting that is adding stress to their life so that they are not able to focus in on the things that, they, that is really important to them, like their children, their family, their spouse, their husband, grandmothers, and, and things of that nature. And so that in turn, if you're trying to make America or this society or this community a better place to live, then you should reach out to the underserved 
for that purpose. Words of wisdom. Well, and, and I think Armand makes a great point there and, and that the same idea of what, how I get my children to save is that I tell them, you know, whatever money we give them or if they get birthday money, however it is, the reason why they would say they would save it as opposed to just spending it on something frivolous is saying, okay, when we plan that next vacation, wouldn't you like to have that money that while we're on vacation, we go to the store, we do something and you could freely do it. That's the reason you're saving for that bigger purchase down the road. And may, sometimes we may not know what that is, but sometimes we do. The same thing, I have a similar conversation with clients and I say to them, you know, think about those big purchases. And this is a way to think about credit card debt that essentially I'm teaching my kids the same idea, but with your clients, you're teaching them, okay, how do we minimize credit card debt or not get in a trap with it? that anytime you wanna go make a purchase, especially a large purchase, whether it's a large TV, furniture, or something of that nature, basically the way I say it is, can we pay it off within three months? If we can't pay it off within three months, we can't use the credit card for it. We need to save more so that we could either pay it off directly or we could use the credit card and pay it off within three months. If I only have three months worth of interest on a credit card, I'm not worried about that. It's when it goes beyond that and I'm still paying interest on something I bought. And you know, I've done some financial literacy classes and the same concept holds true for clients as well as when I talk about it with my children, here's why you're going to save because when you go to visit your cousins in the next state over and spend the summer with them, you wanna freely be able to do whatever you wanna do. They might not even have money and here you could go buy all kinds of stuff. Have those opportunities like Armand is saying, those options, that you would not have if you just spend it today. I wanna to come back to the underserved for a second. Do either of you have a model where you can serve investors that have a lower dollar amount to invest with you or doing some sort of planning subscription-based? So there's lots of ways you can approach it, right? Like I said, I, you know, with the blog, The Financial Effect, you can actually become a Financial Effect client where I created videos that walk you through how to do a budget, that walk you through how to create your own goals, and also walks you through like trying to determine whether if you wanna work with me as a financial advisor or if you wanna kinda of do it yourself, you get videos on that subject. And then you can reach out to me and my team to get financial advice or get your investments and things of that nature set up. So I'm trying my best to reach out in that manner so that it makes it easier because it's kind of hard because kind of like what Gary was talking about, there's only one me. <laughs> and the, at the same time, I want to be the best me I can for my three little girls. So I don't want to be working all the time. So that is one of the reasons why I created videos. We're going to be working on maybe doing a podcast. And the other thing that I'm trying to do is uh, working with Gary and the Black Advisory Group, I learned that I could purchase a financial planning practice. And I'm also looking to try to bring more Black advisors into my group so that I can outreach that way. So you mentioned there's only 3.8% CFP. I'm trying to make a change for that because in my mind, and maybe, and I'm sure Gary will agree with me, I love my life. And it really sucks that there's only 3.8% African-Americans in this group. And, 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 the, and the reason why that is hard is if you think about it, I didn't have aunts and uncles that could introduce me to anyone with money, right? To, to get in this industry is very difficult on its surface, but I certainly did not have the connections 
to, you know, people with money to get me, you know, help me out or introduce me to this guy. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll give you two, $300,000 and help build in. I, I actually, it's a story that, you know, I'll say for, you know, when we're drinking, maybe at a conference or something along those lines. But I, I feel like I got lucky. I hit the lucky button as far as being where I am right now. And so I am working to try to give back to my community and to try to help build up more African-Americans, more Black men and women to be financial advisors just like me. Yeah, to, to go along with what Armand said, I, I feel lucky myself as well. And especially that I had a dream of how to build my practice such that I could give back. And, and that way of building it that I did work with the corporate retirement plans, because seeing that it, it allowed me freedom that would be a revenue source for the business, but then give me more free time to work with individuals. So what I'm doing is for years, since about 2014, there is a nonprofit group that I volunteer with and do financial literacy with student athletes. And one of the things that they do with student athletes, they're African-American student athletes that are there, the top as far as athletics and also with their academics. And they basically take those, those gentlemen, because it's mostly males and it's mostly football players, but they take them to use them as role models to show during teen summits in, in different cities to show kids that, you know, you can be an athlete, but on the same token, you can also be a great student and you really should be. And with the kids that they're choosing, this foundation is choosing, it's kids that have to have a 3.5 GPA coming out of high school or better. And then, as I said, they're finding them because of their, how good they are in sport, that they're typically top 10, top 20 in the country in high school football coming out of college. And then they basically follow them. But their other criteria is that these kids have to be doing some type of clubs or community service outside of getting that GPA and being a top athlete. And the foundation itself, the nonprofit that I, that I basically am affiliated with, basically uses those kids, as I said, to become those role models of athletes because they thought about it is who, who are these, you know, different people going to listen to? They listen to athletes a lot or they follow athletes. So if we can find athletes who are excelling in academics, why can't we show that to children? And why can't that be a focus? Because that's not typically a focus that you see in the news. So where I kind of come in is that I come in with the gentlemen that they've identified that are the in college and graduating from college and basically go over financial literacy with, for them. And as Armand said, it's, it's tough finding a financial advisor. So I even go over with them of, you know, different things to look at for a financial advisor. So they don't, you know, because a lot of these guys become professional athletes. So, and we've heard several different stories of these guys spending through their money. Because for a financial planner, they're the hyper opposite of any client you'd ever deal with. Because now they have all, you know, the majority of the money they're ever going to amass all at once in, while they're young. And now again, kind of like with my children, you're telling them not to spend it, that they have to save it and it's their money. So it's a very tough concept to do. And then you have nearly like 40 or 50 years worth of planning to do all at once. So any steps you can kind of give to them is very helpful, but I've been helping them with financial literacy over the years. And, and I think, you know, that's my way, one of my ways of giving back. The other way is that I recently joined a board of a local community daycare preschool 
that it, I'm about to start a financial literacy program for the parents in that group who are low income and, and don't have very much. So again, a way for me to kind of give back, but again, I don't, you know, I don't know what they have. I don't know who they know. So I'm going to give some time. And, and if there's a, you know, ideal situation that they could start some kind of subscription program, we will. Most probably will not have the ability to start something like that. But it, at least if they get the concepts of what they need to do to start to understand it, that's the first steps that they, they really should have that I'm going to try to give to them. So inspiring, both of you. I truly applaud your significant investment in this journey. And you both said in your own way how fortunate and lucky you are. You love your lives. Snow Cambridge feels very lucky to have you as a part of our Cambridge family for sure. And getting to know you better today, I'm even more inspired than I would have been just listening to all of the things that you're doing to make the general public of all shapes and sizes aware of the value of financial advice. So kudos. I mentioned earlier as I opened some pretty dismal stats on the number of financial professionals of color in our industry. Armand, you mentioned a couple of things about this. In my experience, many business leaders in general know that to foster innovation and capture the competitive advantage, they should be embracing and inspiring diversity in the workplace. That said, I just still don't think we're doing very good based on the stats that we've talked about. So any other thoughts? I mean, the barriers to enter certainly can seem steep. Any other thoughts on what needs to happen for our industry to attract more diverse financial professionals in this industry as, as a, a whole, not just you specifically, but how do we inspire our listeners to get on board and take some action, a call to action for them to do their part? I would say that it definitely starts as young as you can. So one of the things that Cambridge does is they have an internship program and I'm actually in the process right now on a task force helping Cambridge connect with Howard University so that we can start, you know, basically an internship that is connected to there. But that's where I think it starts. It starts in that college level at the very least to get them interested in something of that nature and to really understand it. Because when you hear, like Armand said earlier, when you hear financial advisor, it could be anybody. It could be somebody that's more focused on just insurance and they can still unfortunately call themselves financial advisors. And it's not that they're not doing a service. They're not looking at it comprehensively when they're looking at financial planning. And that's really something I think that is more key in going forward in this industry. As far as, you know, more outreach and growing, you know, more financial advisors, I do think it starts with outreach, internships, educating, you know, reaching out to the community and just introducing them to what financial planning is and what we do for a living. And, you know, recruitment and trying to help them to get into this industry that, that I've been very interested in just trying to set up a situation where kind of like how I started, and I know a lot of people didn't start, that I, I had like a small client base that I could at least start with. And, you know, when you start in this industry, it's like, oh, well, you, you know, come up with your 50 people you know and call them. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and so I think that's why interesting enough that I'm like, you know, let's purchase a practice and then like recruit some people and at least give them something where they can start. So they're not starving from the get go and trying to call their top 50 people and help them to grow and foster that relationship. That, I think that is pretty much unless something changes, that is going to be really the only way 
we can speed this along a little bit. I think over time, as the community continues to grow, become more educated, to amass more wealth, things of that nature, it's going to naturally happen. But I would like to see that happen, you know, in the next 20 years versus the next 100 years, right? It is time to start moving a little faster. Let's speed this up a little bit, or at least try. And I think, I think overall, we will all be better served if, you know, everyone feels like they have a chance in this society to do well. Absolutely. Great actionable ideas. One other thing, Cambridge has come up a couple of times. I think our listeners would be well served to hear a little bit about what the two of you have done. And it was referred to earlier, but you didn't go into a lot of detail about what it is and what it does. Talk about the Cambridge Black Advisor Group that you helped create. And I, and I wouldn't say that I created, I'm not going to take that credit. I would credit one of our fellow advisors, Connie Bettis, as the creator. But I was introduced to it several times before I actually joined it and became more active in it. But I'm, I'm definitely in the help of organizing it and trying to build it up more. But more than anything, what it is, is it's basically a network. It's a network of, just like we were saying before, that with the African-American community growing, that could we be more culturally diverse? This allows a diverse group to basically come together to have support from peers that are similar, similar in types of practice a little bit and, and similar in experiences. I would probably say more that we could talk about business. We could talk about life and a little bit of everything and relate it back to our practices, learn from each other and kind of help each other along. And, you know, it's really become a friendship with many of them, like with Armand, that, you know, we, we could easily call each other and, and, you know, just either talk about just life in general or talk about business and, and just different ideas, like, and, or just tell him something we're doing. And he can kind of relate, you know, from where I'm coming from, like we said before, just from having similar experiences, so. So, yeah, I started participating maybe two, three months ago. Obviously, was introduced to it a couple of times. And I just got motivated in a sense. I felt like I had information that I could provide or knowledge and things of that nature. And of course, they taught me some things and introduced me to some things. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really worked out in a sense of just learning from each other, creating that bond, having a, a open discussion about issues that we're dealing with and not feeling muted. We talked quite a bit today about diversity, but what you're describing now in my mind is inclusivity. It, it crosses over into that arena where I feel like you're, you're giving a particular group of individuals a way to make sure they don't feel alienated, that they stay engaged. You use the word support. I think supported and cared about for sure. So I love it. When I heard about this, I think it can be replicated in a lot of different ways. And I applaud Connie Bettis for creating the group and all involved because it's, it's a pretty cool thing. So as we're getting ready to wrap up our time here, what have I not asked you that you want to make sure our listeners hear about in line with the topic that we're discussing, you know, Black History Month, diversity, inclusion, the importance of all of these things. I think from my perspective, a commitment to these need to be genuine, impactful, and authentic. They can't be superficial. Hopefully we're giving a lot of actionable ideas here, but anything I haven't asked? Well, I've been asked outside of this from one another Cambridge person recently 
of how they could make their group, being an OSJ group, more diverse culturally. And I would say it starts with, you know, even networking to find if there's a way you could either volunteer or help out. Because again, it doesn't necessarily have to be financial, just find some time that you can give and it'll more or less come naturally how you can create, what programs you can create that would make sense for your firm. Because it really should make sense for your firm, it shouldn't be something forced. So find an opportunity that you could do that would make sense for your firm, or either a way to give back so you get introduced to it, and then you'll find those different individuals that you could possibly work with or help out. And as I said, with my practice being mostly retirement plans, a lot of times introduced through participants, but even with your different, and the way I got connected with the student athletes was through different connections that I've talked to and just talking about what I do, that somebody led me during that, down that direction. So I would say just network out there and find different ways you can connect and talk to different individuals, regardless of their race, of you know, what they're doing or what, what you, know, you do, and it, it'll go down that direction. This isn't going to be easy, right? Like you're not gonna run into your first black person and they're gonna become a financial advisor and all is well and, and, and things of that nature. It's just, it, it's, it's a lot of hard work. And some people are going to want to do it. Some people are not. Yeah, I just read this book called, you know, Tyranny and Merit of where, you know, they talk, it really is talking about the community and how, depending on where you grow up, when you grow up, what time you grow up, where you grow up, really dictates where you end up in your life sometimes. And it has nothing to do with, you know, the hard work you did or that you're smarter than anyone else or anything along those lines. And they use like LeBron James as an example. LeBron James in the 1600 would be poor, probably, because basketball wasn't popular then, right? But right now he's six foot nine and can dunk over everyone. And so we value that right now. And we just happen to be in an industry right now that values financial advisor or financial wealth. And, and, and that could change throughout the time. So, you know, you just got to remember that we are all a community and that if your community doesn't represent what America looks like, you should try to reach out and try to build upon that and just diversify who you hang out with and who you, because we, you know, I know me and Gary probably hang out with a well diverse of people. So, you know, just being exposed and just making sure that you talk to a well diverse people, you will find that your practice may start looking like the people that you hang out with more. Yeah, great. Thank you both for joining me today. We sought to spend just a little time celebrating Black History Month and talking about diversity as it relates to our business. But in my opinion, what we also gained from you, pieces of the puzzle that will most surely assist others in building the roadmap to a successful, diverse, and inclusive business, and hopefully, life. Cambridge is lucky to have both of you on the team as members of Cambridge Stronger, and you are without a doubt official influencers. So I feel very honored to have been able to spend this time with both of you and one step at a time. And, and this is coming from our very own trailblazer that we get to talk to. For sure. I appreciate that. You know, we've made so much progress in the gender side of things, yet still the percentages are so small that I'm being realistic about all of these efforts that are brand new diversity, equity, equality, picking striving for equality and inclusion efforts are going to have. And so my 
you've seen me on stage, so you know, I, you can probably guess, I'm, I'm like a immediate impact results-oriented person, and the, the fact that things take a long time can get very frustrating, but it is you and others taking the time to contribute to our efforts that are gonna make it go faster. So I very much appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.